Welcome to the Bill Cartwright Show with Steve Cohen, our special guest today, Mr. Mike Simon. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going, Bill? Good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, you know, Mike, we've actually known each other for a really long time, and I'm always curious about uh, people's past and how they started. Can you talk about um, growing up, where you grew up, uh, talk about what kind of kid were you in high school? Oh, boy. Well, I grew up a uh, suburb of Chicago, uh, kind of like on the Skokie-Evanston border. I pretty much call it Evanston. I went to Evanston High School. Uh, I, I, what kind of, let's, well, if, if I go back, I started in music, you know, about six years old. I started uh, playing guitar and singing. Oh. Yeah, my folks were young parents and they grew up, you know, in the 60s and so I had a plethora of the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, the Who, you name it. So it was just sort of piped in. And my dad played the guitar and sang. So I picked it up. And once he started playing to me, I was mesmerized by it. And that was it. So from that, that's what started my journey in music. Um, yeah, I grew up in Evanston. Um, uh, what kind of kid was I in high school? Uh, let's, well, that's funny. Well, I mean, I played sports, golf, as you know. I played a lot of golf, uh, played, I tried to play basketball, but it's golf a sport. Is it a sport? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a sport. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's some horrible things that can happen on the golf course, you know, <laughs> cart accidents. Uh, but I played golf. Uh, I tried to play basketball. I never grew. Um, I didn't grow tall enough. Played some football, played baseball. Other than that, um, the music was the big thing. And I just kind of just kept going down that path. So when you were in, in really in high school, you, did you have a developed kind of style that you really liked? Um, I mean, you talked about the Beatles. Um, so well, what I were started, you really looking for? Well, I was really into the Who. I was into, uh, into uh, Pete Townsend a lot, into his guitar stylings, Jimmy Page, Led Zeppelin. Um, I had so many and still do have so many different influences everything from folk could be like Jim Croce Phil Oaks to you know Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne to R&B you know uh the Spinners Al Green uh you know it's it Stevie Wonder so I think what happens to me is internally when I'm songwriting I'm, I'm drawing from that depending upon the content of the music and what I'm coming up with it just kind of comes to me and so and I think that's just a about uh, having folks that exposed you to a lot of stuff and growing up in the era that I grew up in. You just have so many different great influences. I was lucky to have to grow up with such great music. Tell us about uh, the first song you ever wrote. Oh. First song. Yeah. Well, I'd say, I'd say the, yeah. I don't even really, it was, a, I think it was a call, a song called To Believe, but I, I vaguely remember it. The one that I remember the most, that's actually even on this album coming out, that's gone through a few incarnations. I'm working on an album right now. It's coming out this summer. Uh, is a tune called Devil Below. And that was one of the first ones that I, where I really started, and it's gone through different incarnations, uh, where I was really writing some, you know, smart lyrics and good guitar work and stuff like that. Uh, and from there, it just kind of took off. I actually never had really thought of myself as a songwriter. You know, I was playing a lot of covers 
And it just sort of happened as I got older. Uh, my, uh, you know, you've always have it in the back of your mind that, you know, musician, right? You know, unless you, that's a feast or famine industry, you know, probably similar to sports, unless you're at the top of it, you know, you're not really, you're not making any money. So I always had a backup plan and mine was aviation. You know, I went to college uh, to Embry-Riddle and Comair Aviation Academy and I became a flight instructor and did all that and because I love aviation. But that music thing was always in the background and it just kept showing up. And that's why uh, somewhere in the 90s, you know, the aviation industry was kind of lousy. There were too many, there are not enough jobs and too many pilots. And I, I went back kind of to my roots of music and discovered, you know, the concept for the Music Teachers Network, which is, you know, my company. And that, that happened by accident. Uh, it kind of kept me in the music realm uh, and, and allowed me to be able to build a recording studio, you know, learn how to engineer, learn how to produce. Because what I really fell in love with when I was a kid was the sound of the albums. And I can remember very specifically Led Zeppelin II. And Led Zeppelin II songs like Ramble On, What Is What Should Never Be, Heartbreaker. I remembered it wasn't just the songs or the way that uh, the, al the, you know, the, the, the lyrics or the guitar playing, whatever. I love that. But it was the way the album sounded that grabbed me. I can still remember as a kid sort of sitting in my parents' basement just playing these LPs. And, you know, over and over and over again. And I couldn't, you know, I was just hooked. And so it kind of that kind of led me down a road of making albums, you know, having, having a sound in your mind and being able to achieve it. How do you do that? And I started out in my twenties sort of tinkering around with like, you know, small gear, like a little pro tool system, maybe a preamp. And every time I would go into a studio and record something, I'd pick something new up from the engineer and I'd say, Hey, how's that work? Or how's this work? What are you doing there? And over time, I just sort of started gravitating to, you know what, I have a way I want this to be. And these guys aren't getting it. So then I started learning it and started working with some greats. And, you know, over time became uh, by osmosis, I guess, a, a professional engineer. But it serves me well because it allows me to be able to produce a song and then mix the songs, you know, actually bring them to fruition and, and, uh, and put them out, which is what I'm doing now. Hey, can you talk about, uh, for novices like me, about style? Because it's, you know, for for a novice, it's because, you know, we hear country, we're rock and roll, we hear there's, there's soul. Uh, you know, like I, lo I love bluegrass gospel. So mm -hmm. it's like, talk about what kind of those different styles and what is your style? My style, I would say, is real hard to describe. It, it's melodic, you know, singer, songwriter. Some this album I have coming out for it's it's called uh, "Break to the Gray," and one side of the album are ballads, and the other side of the album, the sixteen songs, are a little bit heavier. So I call it ballads in the rough, kind of like the inner outlay of the album. So it's like sixteen songs, two LPs. You open up because I'm still going to master the album to vinyl. <clears throat> because believe, I still believe in vinyl. Of course, you can download it. Of course, you can do it. But for people who are audiophiles and have a turntable and have a system. That's me. You know, so <laughs> going back to your question, um, you know, 
styles. Uh, well, there's aspects uh, in my music of, I'd say it's influence. You know, what are influences? Influences are things that are not currently going, ar going, ar going around, you know, that, that they're, there has to be like a 30 year moratorium on it. The things that sort of made you into what you are and you don't realize it. So like country, but I like old world country. I like, like Hank Williams, Johnny Cash. I like when it comes to blues, Robert Johnson, um, Muddy Waters. A lot of those old time stuff that where, where the, the uh, origins of rock and roll came from, a lot, you know, from the blues. Then there's classical elements in there. There's uh, jazz elements in there. It really depends upon the song and where an idea permeates in your mind says, oh, you know, here comes the bridge or here comes the B section of the song. Uh, what if I did this? And then you start drawing from those influences. But you've heard over the years, some maybe some of your favorite songs, maybe something piques your memory, something that happened in a Harry Chapin song or something like that. You go, wait, what if I did this? What if I did that? Let's try these chords. Let's try that. So I think that uh, if, if you're talking about my style, it's original, but it comes from a lot of different influences over time. We'll talk about who would be your audience. Are they younger? Are they older? Are they uh... um, Young and old. I have fans that are, are in their teens and 20s and I have fans that are your age and older. I mean, it, because my music, I don't try to put it into any category where I'm trying to compete on anything that's going on. I'm just trying to be as original. My brother said something once, he said, do you know this band? Do you know this? Guy? I said, ah, no, I'm not familiar. He goes, how does a musician not know what music's going on? And I'd say, well, I mean, I gotta like it. And the other thing is, you know, I try not to follow trends. I try to be myself and make something that's original. And because I think that you're chasing your tail all the time if you're running around saying, oh, this is the new sound or that is. And now I got to go do this. And then you're getting away from yourself. So, no, I don't spend a lot of time like listening to what's going on. I just try to put my vision forward, I think would be the best way to describe that. So you said that you're looking to blaze your own trail and just say that and and. If something hits you, that's what you're going to go with. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let me ask you, what makes a great song? What makes a great song? What makes a great song? We can take, well, we can take, we can, there's two ways to answer that, right? Okay. One of them is to say, well, that's in the ear and the eye of the beholder. Well, yeah, but okay. For me, for a novice, I don't know. So I'm you just can, saying, I'm what, just you, what about are you myself, about? What makes a great song? Yeah. It, 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 it evokes a, a lasting feeling in you. It has, it, think about the Beatles. There, there was a, uh, a very a famous um, um, producer by the name of Jerry Wexler, who started Atlantic Records with uh, Amit Erdogan. And in the, I think it was in the, um, Documentary Muscle Shoals, which came out a couple of years back, real great documentary. He talks about the sonority of an album where it hits you immediately. Like immediately there's a sound there and the songs evoke a memory. They stand the test of time because there's something, uh, there's a beautiful quality in it. If I think about Stevie Wonder, for example, he's a guy that can sing about joy and it doesn't come off cheesy. It always comes off like it evokes a, a memorable feeling that you want to keep going back to it and hearing that. And that's a combination of the words, the singing, the performances, the, uh, the way it was recorded. 
all the parts, the producing, all that comes into play. But I think the short answer would be uh, the, the, the song keeps you interested and takes you on a ride for three or four minutes, sometimes, you know, longer. You know, there was an era where songs were seven and eight, nine, 10 minutes long. You know, Stairway to Heaven, you know, uh, you can go down the line. But that's it, really. It's a, a, a melodic quality that keeps you coming back. And that's just, a, I think that's just a talent for producers. And that's why what I mean about not chasing your tail and not looking about, like at what's going on. Because music has gone through seasons. Uh, sometimes you go through a season where music's so-so and then there's a movement that comes back and it's like, whoa, and then everybody unifies on it. And I think great music unifies people. That's really what. But Michael, if you're not listening to new music, not that you're conscientiously not listening to stuff, maybe you're missing something that, wow, hey, I could try this chord or this kind of progression. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. I hear things along the way, but unfortunately, more often than not these days, you know, when I'm saying, oh, new music, and it's just like, whoa, it's just some of it's pretty out there. You know, it's, um, you know, a lot of some of the lyrical content, not so great. But then there's, it's, I think music right now is just sort of in a, there's, it's a, it's rife for change. And I hope, I'm, I'm, I'm a big hoper that rock and roll is going to come back a little bit more because there's, there's a vacuum in there. Um, one thing that I really love about rock music, it's very unifying. I can remember when I was a kid, you know, you didn't have a lot of radio stations. I mean, I'm not, here I am dating myself, right? It wasn't that long ago, but the deal <laughs> is, the deal is, um, you know, you could you could have a radio station like we had Black Sabbath, you know, Stevie Wonder, uh, the Carpenters, uh, Led Zeppelin, you know, and, and it it wouldn't be one sound for this radio station. Then if you want a different sound, you go to that radio station. There was something very unifying about rock and roll. And what I love about rock and roll is that you bring in uh, different facets. Uh, you know, you got jazz, you got classical, you got folk, you got bluegrass, you got country, you, you have blues. And great artists like Eric Clapton, like, um, oh, even more recent, uh, gosh, the Smashing Pumpkins. You, you could say, hey, you know, these guys brought a lot of styles together to make something original. But it's, it's a bringing together of a lot of different facets into one. Where today I feel like it's like, you know, it's rap or it's hip hop or it's dance or it's EDM or it's the, they're all sort of separate. I want to hear a music again that's bringing a lot of things together. And I feel that those are the, those are the types of music that are indefinable and become original when you incorporate a lot of different styles. But there is an immediacy, a sonority of the album, like there's something that everybody can sink their teeth into. Hey, um, Mike, let me ask you. Is there, and I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Mm -hmm. Is there like a guy, uh, two guys that you uh, would really like to be like, or is similar well, to your style? I could answer that song. I would like to be able to write songs at a quicker pace, like let's say a Paul McCartney or or, or a. Uh, Pete Townsend or I, you know, a lot of times I'll carry melodies around with me and they'll just kind of, you get into these moments where you start writing songs. You're like, all right, I'm going to sit down and write the lyrics to this because the way a song comes to me is that the melody is usually always there first. And sometimes it'll be a chorus. Sometimes it'll be a verse that's playing over in my head and I'll develop it out. 
but I have a, an aspect of, you know, there's a laziness to it where it's like, you know, I want to make this album and I want it to be this way. And you can overthink it a lot. There's something that I've um, recently decided to do in my recording, which is um, you have to walk this. You, you really have to know what the essence of your game is. And in mine, it's singing and performing with an instrument. If if I'm standing there at the microphone and I'm recording to a playback, it always tends to come off just a little bit synthetic for me. But if I'm sitting at the piano and I'm playing and singing and I'm getting lost in music, I become the center of it. And then the music sort of then um, becomes a, 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 a side process of the center of that particular performance. So that's, you know, in answer to your question, be more like me, the kid who's always been playing the guitar or playing the piano and singing rather than trying to piece a bunch of things together. That was a very good lesson. You, you got to know your game, what, where, what, where you shine best. But, it, but uh, if I was going to pick anybody, I would to be more like hell, I'd say Sinatra. <laughs> I mean, there was a, there was a consummate professional. I mean, one take Frank, you know, walk in and say, nope, I'm done. I'm out of here. See you. Well, Frank, should we do some more takes? Nope. I'm done. That's it. You got it. See you later. So uh, I, I would like to just uh, continue to grow. And I think music gives the opportunity to, to do that. You know, you know, every time you think you've figured it out, you're like, oh, no, wait a minute. There's another there's another place to go here. And that's a, it's a lifelong quest for as long as I can do it. Can, can you talk about the uh, Teachers Network? How did that start? That's a good story. Well, you you know, you lived in the North Shore. And yes, I have. For many years. There's a paper called the Pioneer Press. Well, I'll even I'll even back up a little bit more. My girlfriend at the time, who you you knew, Jill, or maybe even still do. I still um, do. We uh, she was teaching piano, and um, I was kind of teaching guitar. She started teaching at a school um, called at Stream, Streamwood, Illinois, and Bartlett, and she uh, started just doing these half-hour lessons. And I said, well, you know what? I got a better idea. Why don't we put up some flyers? And I knew of this grocery store in Winnetka called The Grand. And we and they had this big bulletin board. And we put up these flyers. And I made them real nice, you know, laminated cards, all this. And we got a bunch of calls from there for private lessons. I said, well, this is working. So she started teaching privately in, in the homes in the, some suburbs of North Chicago. I, so I got this idea. And I said, well, what if we went and like, did inserts in the Pioneer Press. You know, I, I don't know how I came to this idea. I was looking at, I knew about the Pioneer Press and I asked them, what's the insertion cost? I think the whole thing was like 800 bucks, even with the paper reams that I bought. And I got like, it was like two suburbs. It was, I think, Winneka and uh, Wilmette. And I had this ream of 2,500 sheets of cardstock, neon green. I'm like, I figured, Look, it's got to fall. It's got to be like, well, that doesn't belong in here. You know, what's this card all about? And I had a cheap program. I put guitar, piano, voice lessons on there, phone number. We come to you, blah, blah, blah. Put in the paper, went to 10,000 homes or 10,000 circulation. And we got like 100 calls. And all I was trying to do is just fill up my schedule and fill up hers. And it went a little bit farther than that. Before I knew it, I said, wait a minute. What if I could be in 100 places at one time? What if I could hire some music teachers and and take what we know how to do and just interview them and pay them to handle some of the overspill, but what we couldn't handle because there were just too many families. And that's how that started. 
it started kind of by accident. You know, necessity is the mother of invention, I guess. So before we knew it, we had a, a business in the North Shore and started there. And then we took it, you know, nationally. And when the internet came along and became more prevalent, we needed to then get good at IT. So we started uh, then creating, you know, a website and a platform. And that has taken shape over the years. So now it's national. And people can go on, they can buy a package, they can match with an instructor, and boom. And we're in tutoring now as well. And we're focusing a little bit more on private schools and, uh, and, and Montessori schools to try to work through them. Uh, because there's a need out there now, especially with distance learning and, and kids being a bit isolated. Uh, we're trying to you know, uh, also give instructors jobs and try to you know, help where we can and grow the business continually well the idea is brilliant because um as you know well i'm taking lessons from you and it's really hard to find a um a good teacher um with me it was a no uh lose situation because i, I knew a little of nothing so we were working uh, on hey jude that's that? right that's right and, and, we got uh, that, that guitar it, for you from uh flynn guitars in evanston yeah yeah <laughs> Your fingers were so big, you were fretting two strings at once. <laughs> so we got to figure it out. That was fun. Do you still have that guitar? I still, I, I have a Northwood guitar that has a bigger neck now, and uh, it's, it's absolutely terrific. Cool. So, Mike, let me ask you. So, what, what's ahead of you now? What's, what's your vision for yourself and your music? Well, like I said, this album's going to be um, pretty much finished about, uh, I would say June 1st, then we're going to master it, going to put it out over the summer and near the end of summer and market the hell out of it um, everywhere. Radio stations, uh, celestial radio um, to movies. A little, a footnote of this album, actually, I, I, speaking of Led Zeppelin, I got an opportunity to work with Eddie Kramer on this album. And Eddie uh, I, I think I talked to you briefly about this. Uh, Eddie uh, was Jimi Hendrix's engineer, uh, as well as uh, five Led Zeppelin albums, four Kiss albums, I believe. I might get the numbers wrong. Um, he recorded Woodstock. I mean, the, the guy's, you know, amazing. And he has a great story. And I, w I went to France and met him through a program uh, where you got to meet uh, and work with famous producers. I, was, uh, I applied to it, was accepted to it went to France in 2019 and met him and he heard my music and we started talking and he came out here to Seattle where I am now. And we worked together for two weeks on finishing up the tracks and stayed at my house and everything was really cool. And to this day, we're still uh, close friends and, and, but he had a, a huge effect on it and uh, changed some songs around, recorded some additional tracks. So that, that's a, uh, that that's been a, an amazing experience for me and i did it, it really filled in some blanks that i needed to know and one of the things about working with somebody like that is you you get to re you you realize what you're already good at what you already know and then a bunch of things that you didn't know right so it, it really demystifies the process so going forward um i'm just going to promote it i'm going to see you know the world's in a weird place now we're gonna see what's happening with with touring or any or live shows or whatever, like the, you know, as as time goes on. But I'm just marching forward through it. Want to get it to as many people as I can and get it heard, 
and we'll see. Okay, um, give me uh, male and female, the most ingenious singers that we should know. Oh, well, I would definitely say, obviously, Sinatra, Elvis, um, but mm, people- Now, now, now let me ask you a question. Why, why, why was Frank Sinatra uh, a genius? Why is that? Well, I think one, obviously there's a lot of natural talent there, but he was a, a hard working musician. I mean, he went in there, he worked with the arrangements. He um, played nightly for years uh, on radio. You, there was no room for error. You had to be, everything was live. So you had to be really, really sharp at what you were doing. Um, and he just had a talent for getting it done in a take. Um, he was a, just a hardworking, perfect, consummate professional, an entertainer, uh, very natural, but could, uh, what makes a great singer is, is the emotion and the character in, in the way that you deliver the words. So I would say him, I'd say Elvis, I'd say, you know, uh, I'd say Stevie Nicks. Um, I'd say um, Julie Andrews. I'd say, um, gosh, going down the line, Robert Plant, definitely. Uh, uh, John Lennon. I love the way that John Lennon sang because there was an honesty to it. You know, it's not always about do you have the most fantastic voice? Like they have the, you know, the show, The Voice. It's always about the voice. And I say, well, what about the song? You should, you should come up with a one called The Song because. You know, you can have a great, it's not only just about the voice. Look at Joe Cocker. Would that be considered, you know, like a pristine voice, that gravel voice? But it was the way that he delivered it, it was the passion. So it really depends. It's, it's what's behind the voice. It's the intent. It's the material. No, I agree with you. I agree. I agree with you about some of these performers where like you believe that they're singing it and the emotion, you know, they're able to convince you that they're feeling forlorn or lovesick, you know, like I, always felt like Mary J. Blige when she's singing yeah. about heartache. I believe her. I don't think it's manufactured or treacly or anything like that. So I, I definitely agree with you. It's about having the whole package. I guess when you talk about your album, do you have an idea which songs might be hits or do you kind of just put them out there? Boy, that's a hard one to say because I think, I think about Van Morrison when he talked about, you know, hey, uh, yeah, Brown Eyed Girl, but you know, I have 300 other songs. <laughs> He's stuck playing Brown Eyed Girl forever. I mean, you, you, just, you, just, you just never know. Um, I think there's some that are winners that based upon what people have said to me uh, until I see you again that I actually wrote for my son. Um, I'd say uh, Devil Blow, definitely. Um, uh, Memories and Dust. Probably three up from the top of my head that I think will do very well. But again, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I mean, it's songs that I love to play, right? Uh, but how people react, every time you think you know what people want, I, that's why you can't chase that. Just go forward with what you got and see. Uh, that's it. I think that happens a lot, right? Like people write songs and they think one side's going to do it and then the B side is does well. Right. You know? I, I think that there is an, I guess it's it's more of a, art than a science right i mean because yeah. you can't say oh this song is going to be a hit and just do those kind of things
you know, there's there's record companies that would would disagree with that. They'd say, well, you know, this 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 has performed well, so we're gonna get you know five more artists that have this sound, and we know exactly from a market research standpoint, you know, what we if we if we if we put this artist out, they're gonna be successful. But I'd say, yeah, but to me, that's like missing the point of music. You know, the point is to come up with something original, take chances, and 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 then let it perform. You know, it's not always about whether something does well or not. I'd like to see music get back to, you know, taking chances again and record labels having an attitude of, I want to sign artists that stand the test of time rather than I think this would be a successful right now. Well, who knows? I mean, art is art. Nobody knows. I mean, there's been a lot of artists that have been very successful and there's a lot of one hit wonders, mostly one hit wonders. But <laughs> so, music, as we've talked about, has changed. Like you can just put it out there, have your thousand true fans, and yeah. And I think I think also there's a lot. There's a huge emerging independent music industry now. You know, there's a lot of people that are learning how to engineer in their homes or recording in their homes or recording because the technology got better. And as so long as the technology allows an artist to put their vision forward and they can get some knowledge of recording because of you know, all the different videos that are out there and people who are helping and teaching. Um, you have people who learn how to engineer on their own and then they're putting it out on their own to put it on SoundCloud, they're promoting it with their own dollar or they're getting an investor. Look at Billie Eilish. I mean, she made this with her brother in her house and boom. So nobody knows, but, uh, but there is a lot more opportunity now, but then there's also a lot more noise. I mean, there's a lot, there's, it's a more crowded highway. So how do you break through? I don't know. My attitude is on it. You know, I, I, I try to educate myself best to get what's out of my mind, out of the speakers. And that's, that's all you can do, you know, and then just try to set yourself up for success that way. What, is, what does Eddie Kramer do for you? Like, what does a guy with his experience, how does he make you better? Well, he's critical. I mean, he, he would tell me flat out, no, this isn't working. You know, this, this is, this is, this is not working or you need to do this or you need to change it. And sometimes I've agreed, sometimes I've disagreed, but I think mostly uh, for me, that whole experience has just been demystifying. You know, you grow up with a certain music, it becomes almost some sort of out of reach poetry to you. And then when you get down to ground level and meet the actual people and work with them, you start to realize, Hey, you know, I can do this. And it takes your confidence level up. Um, I've, I've watched a lot of the, you know, approaches he would take. And say, ah, yeah, that's what I would do. Or, oh, I didn't see that angle. And it made a big difference. Also, he said to me, this is very funny, we were sitting in this studio here. And he said, you know, Michael, you're the, you're the guy that puts, writes bridges where choruses should be and choruses where bridges should be. I said, what do you mean? And there's this one tune called If You Give Me Your Love. And I said, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't change that. You know, that's the way that song goes. Everybody agrees. And he said to me, look, just try it. And I turned the song around, I took where the bridge was and I put it into the chorus and changed the arrangement of the song and boom, it's one of my favorite songs to play now. And that's what I mean. When you get with a, a great producer is somebody that will give you a different perspective, like a coach. Um, in The Last Dance, for instance, um, I don't know if it was you that was talking about it, Bill, or I forget, but uh, that a great coach is uh, that when you, oh, I think it was you, when you work with somebody else, like this, you go from this coach to that coach, that that's 
they have a style, they have a vision, and then you've got to learn how to work with their vision and change your approach. It's the same as working with a great producer. They're going to see things in you that you don't see. And then you're going to have to like maybe change your game a little bit or get out of your comfort zone or try different things. And that's what that did for me. It brought into my horizons. Am I accurate in saying that as a basketball player, that when you work with different coaches, that, that sort of changes your, your approach to the game? Well, everybody has their own vision. Everybody has their own thoughts. Everybody has their own way that they believe you're going to be successful. Right. So, it's, so inside of that, let me ask you, would you ever consider working with a group? Oh, or sure. would you ever consider working as, as a duet? Sure. It would depend upon the project. I was just talking about this uh, the other day <clears throat> that um, I would... Let's, you know, you can look at a lot of different solo artists that, let's take Clapton, for instance, you know, he was with Cream, but, and then he was with Derek and the Dominoes and, and uh, Blind Faith, but then he did his own thing. And then sometimes you go back and you pair with somebody and do a project. So that project is, you know, where you're playing in a group with people who are equally as good and you're putting something cool out and then you go back to doing your own thing. So I think, yeah, I'm open-minded to all of that. If the music is there and the synergy is there, then absolutely. How about a duet with Bill? He'd, he'd, be, he'd, he'd be the baritone. <laughs> Steve, you're, you're definitely out. Yeah, no, thank you. I feel like hey. the fifth Beatle. Um, hey, hey um, Mike, um, how's, um, how's Jack? Jack's great. He's, 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 uh, I just got pictures that he has a new mitt. He's got a new mid. He's playing baseball. He made the baseball team. So it's his first year in, in, uh, I don't know what the level is called anymore. Peewee baseball or, but, uh, it's not T-ball, you know, and he's learning to, you know, throw He's got, Jack's a good athlete. He's already real good at soccer and he just loves it. He's, and he's just going, look at this and look at this and I can catch it this way and I can catch it that way. And I'm like, all right, so let's, let's talk about some old school methods here. You know, like how, try closing your mitt. And he's like, uh, I said, yeah, you know why? Because that's a new mitt. So we have, you know, put a baseball in it, put the rubber bands around it, stick it under the mattress, you know, ah, now we can open and close it, you know? So he's learning all that stuff. And it's fun as a father to, uh, you know, see him doing that. And he's into sports. He loves it. So that's cool. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, you know, I, I missed us spending time together. Yeah, uh, we got to get out and golf. Yes, we do. My, my game needs a lot of work. And, uh, you know, we'll get out. We'll have some fun. Uh, right we'll just have to figure that out. But thank you so much. Yeah, thank uh, you for having me. And nice to meet you, Steve. Nice to meet you, Michael. And I'm looking forward to buy your album. What is it called? When does it come out again? It's going to come out, I, I, you know, if I'm being uh, optimistic, I would say uh, August, latest September. And uh, it's called Break to the Gray. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. We'll have to have you back for a concert. Yes. Got it. I'm in.